This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, rolling along, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Tons of people going to be stopping by today. Joe Fan, G. Scott, talking to Mike Morris, new uh, Seahawks defensive lineman. Not to be confused with Mike Morgan, who's an old Seahawks linebacker. Outside linebacker, mostly. Good guy, too. USC guy, played a lot on special teams. Uh, special teams going to come up here in just a couple minutes as we go through some of the stuff we saw in practice. I do have some observations and takeaways. I know Maura does as well. We watched practice together yesterday, and only one of mine is body-related. Only one. All of my other observations are not about anybody's body. Is it because you already said one about somebody's body? Is that why? Well, whose body did I talk about now? Well, I mean, we sat and interviewed him. I mean, I I couldn't help it. (laughs) Moore's going to post the picture where he just dwarfs me. I mean, like, what are you supposed to do? No, my only only body observation was Tariq Woolen, who was there yesterday in shorts and walking around. He's built like like a sprinter. Hmm. He's built like like uh, Usain Bolt. Like it's crazy seeing how long his legs are and like how like high they come up to his somewhat short torso comparatively. He sort of reminds me of like a Usain Bolt, like the kind of guy you see in the like sprinting championships. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I didn't notice all that, but I did notice nothing on his <laughs> nothing on his knee. No Also true. No bracer. Nope. Nothing like that. That's where you're going. Seemed with like that. he was getting around fine. So yeah. Hopefully it will just be the uh, four to six. What do they say? Four to six. Four to six weeks. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And they're already got to be about a week or so in. So hopefully uh, starting to feel better. All right. Uh, Some non-body observations. Uh, Let's see. You want a positive one or a negative one? Always start. You want to start positive? Yeah, start positive. All right, let's go with this one. Their defense was a lot better yesterday. You couldn't help but notice it. I mean, that was, I think, everybody's biggest takeaway from yesterday. Yeah, in the indoor session, um, especially... um, before they they go outside, they kind of uh, I feel like that's where everyone kind of even the guys that are maybe going to take it a little lighter early on like that's when everyone kind of goes full force and um as full force as you can be when you're right. tackling and I felt like Gino was having some trouble getting rid of the ball mm-hmm. like they were really they were bringing some pressure and they can't you know sack obviously but I saw Boye Mafe get what like, what would have been a sack mm-hmm. there was Witherspoon with an interception um, yeah. They were they were giving him a hard time. Mike Morris got in there on one. Oh yeah, he um he was barreling down on Drew Locke to the point where I was like, oh god, is he actually going to catch him? Like he knows he can't, right? But he he's got some speed for how big he is. Yeah. And um it, when so Locke was running for his life, even though I don't think he was going to actually, <laughs> and he got to the sidelines and still had some momentum, you know. So Bobby, uh, I thought it was. He wrapped him up very gently and ah. gracefully. Just kind of gave him a, a hug <laughs> a and nice slowed him hug. down so he wouldn't go crashing into the wall. Speaking of Bobby, <laughs> there's another observation. Bobby got toasted by Ken Walker down the sideline. And Maura gave me a little context on it because I got there a few minutes after her, so I hadn't seen it. I guess Bobby had been chirping at yeah. uh, at the uh, running backs coach, Dukes. Uh, Chad, uh, Chad, Chad, Chad Morton, excuse yeah, me. I guess- Chad Morton. I guess uh, from what I was hearing, they, they like to do that from time to time. So they were going back and forth. Bobby kept yelling, I know what book you've been reading. So I don't know if that was a playbook reference or what. But well, um, he, they he were yelling back and forth. And then, 
then next thing you know, Bobby Wagner's chasing Ken Walker down the field. So I don't know if Morton, Morton was involved in calling something specifically for it him. It seemed anyway <laughs> like maybe they designed a little play and threw it out there to toast Bobby. And it was really fun. It, uh, it worked. There was a lot of uh, excitement. No, but there was a lot of sort of hype and yelling. And, you know, somebody jumped off sides at some point and everyone starts screaming at each other about who it was. And it was good. It was uh, good Tyler to see Lockett some had of that. a toe tap catch in there. But surprise, surprise, right? right? Of course. And um, yeah, they've added TVs this year too. So you can, they can actually watch the replay, which that will definitely, after that one, mm-hmm. they were all over there and then, then yelling. Pretty uh, awesome. To, which, which way they thought it went. So more and I watched these drills for a little while that were unlike anything I've ever seen. We saw sort of three drills in a row that I've never seen before. And generally you go out there, you see sort of the same stuff over and over again. So the first one was for corners and receivers, I think. And it I, it seemed to be about, like, getting off the line of scrimmage low. So imagine two guys standing, I don't know, 15 feet apart, both facing the same direction on the line. And you've got a gigantic hula hoop on the ground in front of each of them. And on the, on one side of the hula hoop, Somebody would put down a towel like on the right side of each hula hoop or the left side of each hula hoop on the ground. And the drill is on the whistle. Both guys would fire off and need to pick up the towel and curve around the hula hoop. Does that make sense? And when I say hula hoop, I mean, it's like it's a big it's probably 10, 15 feet. It's not Mm -hmm. like four feet. And so, yeah, it seemed to be. And then they would race each other because, of course, you got to bring the competition element into it. So each time I think it was Nico Thorpe who was leading the drill, he would declare a winner from either his right hand or his left hand. And then the guys would talk trash to each other. And it was great. (laughs) It was like everything Pete loves and just a cool way of them doing that. And I've never seen that for uh, for for those positions. We've seen that as more of a pass rush technique, right, where they have to come around and really show their their lean that hoop. Yeah, yeah, but this uh, this I had not seen. I think it was for for wide receivers and corners. It might have been a special teams thing. It may yeah. have been coming around the end on a kick on a like kick block, like a field goal oh, block. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. That could have been it too. It was a little hard to tell, but staying low and trying to grab the towel. So that was I took one. Some video, the one I posted yesterday, I actually had to like slow down to see who won. It was very close. Yeah, but Trey Brown slightly edged Derek Young. Oh. On that one. Interesting. Because I didn't see Nico guy, announce the winner on that. My one. guy Dariq. <laughs> um, so I don't know what that was. I, I, I they had a lot of corners and and uh, and wide receivers, but it might have been a special teams drill. The well, other they two they were doing more special teams right. drills after that. So those are the other two we watched. So then they did a um, stopping the ball from going into the end zone on a punt drill. Oh, and it was really be... cool. Like two guys would run out and the and the and the coach would throw the ball sort of like a grenade, like so it was spinning sideways yeah. and it would land near. It was awesome. I'd never seen them actually work on that. And then like one guy, I forget who it was, ended up sort of falling into the end zone and they're just killing him <laughs> for it. It was great. Did they call him a loser. <laughs> he did. He called he's ah you loser. <laughs> Man, all right. Good. Good to hear. And then the last one was also um, a punt drill that was all about, like, which direction the ball would bounce, where it was just, like, thrown in the air, a guy run down, and all of a sudden you have to, like, catch the ball, like, off of a bounce. So that was pretty cool, too. They they did some really interesting – I've never seen a lot of those special teams drills, so that was uh, that was kind of fun. The biggest thing, though, and I don't mean to bury the lead here, and, and it just – it's very, very clear. Gino gets the ball out quick. When when they get into seven and se- seven on seven or whatever the types of drills are, Gino gets it out quick and Drew Locke does not. And you can't 
watch practice without seeing that. It is just as clear as day. Gino gets it out real quick, and Drew does not. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Those plays where Drew's in there take longer to develop, and he's looking for it and waiting to see it, whereas when Gino is in there, that ball is out, and it's out quick on time. I'm not saying that every single one of them was you know, a, 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 a completed pass, but he was decisive. In a yeah, way that Drew was not. Get a short one off or just not throw it, whereas Drew will just kind of stand back there looking for something. Yeah. For a long time, and just right? kind of hang out, waiting, et cetera. I will also say this more. I'm sorry. Every single play to D. Eskridge was a mess. Oh, my goodness. Everyone. You noticed it too. You didn't want to talk about I, it, but you I saw said, it. I said, oh, he just dropped one. And you were like, of course. You weren't even looking. I had to tell you no, at that point. I saw like three <laughs> plays. You know what? I knew not to look because every time oh. they'd thrown him the ball, the play just immediately collapsed. They did one inside that I saw that did nothing. You mentioned the one he dropped. There was a third one I saw. I mean, just. Well, we that's also what saw, I saw Jackson Smith and, and Jigba think he was scoring a touchdown and the, the ball came Oh, was, yeah, and a little ball um, security. But right. I know he had a couple the other day. They posted some videos when the media mm. wasn't there the other day. He had a couple touchdowns. Uh, we should also give Mike Jackson a shout-out. He had himself quite a day yesterday. Um, picked off Geno and the outdoor drills and just was, was all over the receivers he was covering. Um, I really think... It's hard like, not to believe that Woolen and Witherspoon are right. going to win the starting roles, right? But I think Trey Brown and Mike Jackson are not going to go down without a fight. Nor like, should camp, they. The camp battle is going to be and, on at that and, position. And it wouldn't be surprising if one or both of them ended up contributing this year. I mean, that yeah. tends to happen. And it wouldn't shock me if one or one of those guys anyway ended up being traded because they both, would you would think, would have some value elsewhere as potential starters in this league. And if you don't have room here, can you bring something back that would be you know of more need to this team moving forward? We'll find out. But good day out of practice. Uh, we'll be out again next week for mandatory minicamp. So three days of open practice to the media. We'll get out there and uh, see what we can see to bring to you guys. All right. Coming up next, we'll give you everything you need to know, including including Pete, who talked after that practice and had some uh, had a little message for some of the guys that is one we've heard from him before. I'll play that for you next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Yep, great to see the Seahawks out there working at practice yesterday. Really is fun, and the weather has just been perfect for all of these practices, it seems. It was the defense taking center stage yesterday. Mora mentioned Mike Jackson. He had a really good day at cornerback, and they just seemed to sort of step up and slow down the offense in a way that we've not seen in some of the earlier uh, meetings out there. In any event, Pete Carroll asked about what he wants to see between now and camp, a refrain that we've heard from him before. Yeah, I don't know if I'm looking for a jump to hope everybody gets back. You know, we all get back and, and, you know, we're hoping that they'll be able to find a really good rhythm and, and routine for the workout so that the conditioning is not an issue. It's not like they'll be out of shape, but will they be in shape enough to handle the workload so that they can stay healthy? That's really that's really the concern. Um, there's a you know the first two weeks of camp are really uh, a demanding time for them, and if they haven't worked, then they can get vulnerable. You know, after the first week, they get a few practices under their belt, and then all of a sudden they start feeling a little soreness here and there, and they get they, they get susceptible. And so that that's what we're worried about. Uh, we've heard that. Remember last year, Pete talking about some of the rookies who had those soft tissue injuries? Well, he didn't want any part of that again this year. Very clear that he wants guys to make sure they show up in shape. Now, as for guys like Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks, he said Jamal is expected to be there next week for mandatory minicamp. Now, as for their health, 
kind of a different story. He, he, he sounds good. I talked to him a couple of days ago. Um, um, Mo Kelly went down and saw those guys uh, yesterday and visited with uh, uh, him and Jordan. And uh, everything's moving along. It, it, I, we don't have time frames. We won't really know for oh, another good six weeks, eight weeks or something like that, you know, to see how far they've come. But um, they're both they're both they got their eyes set on, you know, getting back and getting ready to go for the season. So whether they can make it, we'll, we'll find out. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're not going to find out a timeline until essentially the beginning of training camp, it does seem hard for me to imagine that both those guys don't end up starting on Pup when it's all said and done, but hopefully it ends up going a little faster than that. Uh, clearly, both would be a huge, huge help to try to get this defense not to where it was at last year, but better than where it was last year, which is something I think they're going to need if they truly want to contend and want to be competitive this season. Here's the second thing you need to know. Mariners back to it tonight. They start a very important road trip in Texas. They did make a little move yesterday, roster move. They had a little punch in the lineup, send down Taylor Trammell. They call up the red-hot Mike Ford, who's actually had a really good season in AAA. John Morosi joining Wyman and Bob. Players have swing changes or adaptations, adjustments, and he has been mashing in the minor leagues this year. He's a great story, undrafted free agent out of Princeton. This is exactly the time of year. He he had an opt-out, so they had to make the choice. But this is the time of year when you start to make some adjustments. And Trammell, I like him a lot as a player, but I think that there's some redundancy right now with the way this team is structured. I think it's going to look different. This team might look different by the end of June. We'll see uh, what happens with Colton Wong's roster spot depending on uh, Dylan Moore's availability and, and how this team is going to look going forward. Um, they, they're they at a spot, though, to your point, where they can no longer say we're going to carry two or three bats for defensive purposes. Yeah, that's right. And because of it, they're going to need to bring in some more bats. Jerry was very clear. That's what they're looking for at the deadline. In fact, he said there's a few different types of trades, but they're willing to go big for the right player. No, I think you see it, you know, with Luis Castillo. And I'm not sure you can go bigger than, than the Rock at the deadline. And we did that a year ago. And I think that is more representative of our mindset is that when we go big, we go big for players that we feel like are going to be here for a sustained period of time and in Luis's case we talked about this minimally we were getting the 2022 season and 2023 and we we thought we had the chance to keep him here and and that wound up being the case so yeah they did go big on that and they're willing to do it again we'll again focus on players like that in the the available veteran crew where we won't I, I guess we won't turn our eyes from you know the, the expiring contracts potential free agents we're just unlikely to view that as the big get pouring it out for for a short-term rental player doesn't make sense for us just in in terms of how we build our roster or philosophically so think more like if it's big it's going to be a player that's sustainable if not we'll try to do those you know those small i guess under the hood type trades that are that wind up being a lot better than you think Mm -hmm. and and adding but Anything is open to us right now simply because we know what we want to do to get better. We just have to find the right dance partner to do it. All right. So how do they add bats? We'll find out what names are eventually going to be out there. And in the meantime, you just got to keep playing baseball. Luis Castillo goes against John Gray in Texas tonight. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Meanwhile, a really good year uh, in the books, of course, for the Seattle Kraken. We had an opportunity to speak to their GM yesterday. That's Ron Francis, who just got himself a three-year deal. Really enjoyed that conversation. So how do you go from good to great? Do you need a star player to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, you, you always like to have those guys if you can. They're not always readily available. You go back to the expansion. You know, teams get to protect their best seven forwards and their best three defenses. So usually those superstars are in that group that they're protecting. And the only way to really get those guys is is to, you know, draft and develop. And, you know, that's what we've tried to do on the amateur side in our drafts. It takes a little while for these kids to sort of mature and get to the point where they can step into the NHL and play. Uh, uh, not everybody's a Maddie Beneers that can, you know, can kind of do that uh, early. But um, we think we've got some good pieces coming in that regard. And but if there are moves that are out there that we feel make us better, we're certainly not going to hesitate to do that, whether that's trades or, or free agency or what have you here over the course of the summer. Yeah, and there may be opportunities in both of those realms. And again, I'll keep pointing out the Toronto Maple Leafs as a possibility, given the fact that they do have four star players and it didn't work. So is there a chance to maybe snag one of those guys if they retool that? roster that is everything you need to know we do that quarter past every hour here on the brock and salk show interesting too that francis also you know you, you hear about not everybody is a maddie beneers who can come up right away but also what does maddie beneers need to do get bigger right he's like just waiting for mother nature to take its course to just help the kid fill out i mean he's he's what 20 years old he's just waiting for his his you know to grow into being a man which will happen the fact to me that he's already so strong on the puck as he is without that man strength, I, I think, Matt, that's going to make him very, very special. He's 6'2", and he does not play like a big dude. No, because he's not and, filled and out gonna, yet. It's 100 and what, probably 180 pounds. He <laughs> like, hasn't filled out. I mean, and it's not like he doesn't work out or that. He just needs to turn into a man. And that should happen over the course of the next two or three years. He'll just get naturally bigger. And as he does, some of that strength he already has in the puck, I think, is already just uh, going to improve. So looking forward to the future there. And if you can do a little bit more to add some more star power around him, even better. By the way, UW women postponed last night uh, in softball. That game will be played at 10 o'clock this morning. All right. This one's on ESPN2. By ESPN2. Way. They've moved to ESPN2. So just a heads up for everybody. All right. Joe Fan's going to join us here in a moment. I wonder where Joe's at uh, after a 7-3 and three Mariners homestand that featured some good, some not as good. But again, 7-3 and three and coming off a very successful May. We'll discuss with our buddy Joe coming up. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710salesports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. And it's time for our friend Joe Fan back at his regular time slot today. Thank you for being flexible again last week. It's good to have Joe at 730 as we do every week. What's going on, man? How are we? Good morning, Mike. Doing great, man. Uh, you had a great holiday weekend last weekend. And uh, excited for this road trip coming up here for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, all right. Well, let's start there. I was going to start Seahawks, but if you want to start Mariners, let's start there. If you're Jerry DePoto and you're kind of looking at where you're at right now and thinking we talked to Jerry yesterday and a lot of good stuff in there about how if there's a big time bat out there that they'd be willing to go after it and give up quite a bit to get there. If you're Jerry, how much are you willing to bet on this year? Meaning how big would you be willing to go to try to add to this roster? Um marginally I wouldn't be going all in um I just think mid-season all-in trades I mean I guess it all depends on what kind of club control you're getting from the guy you're acquiring 
you know, like where Luis Castillo was a, a big trade and it costs you a lot. You end up getting him signed to where he's around for a long time and not just a, a quick year and a half rental. Um, so it does sort of depend on that. But yeah, we've had this conversation a lot and we've talked about how, you know, if you can avoid making mistakes with big contracts, it keeps your window open longer. And, um, you know, I, I don't think we talk enough about how these big midseason trades where you're desperate, the other team has all the leverage and they're able to get potentially more than they would have normally um, because there might be a bidding war or whatever. Well, depleting your minor league system in a couple of trades is also a quick way to ruin your window. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it sounds good in theory because the Mariners do desperately need a bat. I mean, even in these last couple of weeks, they've been playing pretty good baseball in terms of winning games, seven and three road trip. Obviously you'll take that. Um, but still over the last two weeks, they rank 18th in WRC plus and 18th in run scored. So, you know, while there have been moments and certainly Julio appears to be, uh, hot again and has figured it out and gotten through the the sluggish start he's really the only one ty ty france had a couple moments cal raleigh's had a couple moments and and, and both those guys have had a cl- enough clutch moments to where you know they, they still have the, the wrc plus over 100 which is league average um you know it's it's still gino and um and teo and the rest of the role players that have really really struggled you know nobody's been able to give them a boost outside of jose caballero um, you know, because everybody else is, is really just struggled along with the rest of the team. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel I feel that makes me nervous when you kind of bring up how all in, how much are you going to invest in this one season? Um, I'm not sure. It all depends on the person, which is sort of a cop out. But yeah, no, but it's, it you're, you're right about it. And that's sort of what Jerry said yesterday. He said, look, you know, I mean, I can even play you the sound. I mean, like when when you get an opportunity like in the Luis Castillo trade, that's where they want to be hyper aggressive. No, I think you see it, you know, with Luis Castillo, and I'm not sure you can go bigger than, than the rock at the deadline. And we did that a year ago. And I think that is more representative of our mindset is that when we go big, we go big for players that we feel like are going to be here for a, a sustained period of time. And in, in Luis's case, we talked about this minimally. We were getting, the 2022 season and 2023 and, and we we thought we had the chance to keep him here and and that wound up being the case and he kind of goes on to say that those are the spots so i mean i think jerry's thinking right along with you as usual i guess i would say you and jerry on the same page and and, and sort of saying the same thing like yeah no that's what makes it worthwhile is if you have the opportunity to get somebody that's going to be a part of your roster construction for the next three to five years. That seems to be exactly what they're after. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't want to deplete your farm system, but geez, it seems to be one of the things they've gotten. If you have an opportunity to get better, I I like the idea, but I, I think we tend to agree with you, Joe, that I, 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 I like what they've done, but I'd be hard. It'd be hard for me to truly bet on them right now. I think they need to prove it. If Gino and Tay Oscar can prove it, over the next few weeks, it actually, I think, makes it easier for me to want to buy more. Oh, I agree. Yes, because there's still too many things. Like I, I think this team has been very average. Certainly the pitching staff has been incredible. But there's not a lot of games you watch this team and say, oh, yeah, this team is, is ready for fall baseball. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are about to get hot. They're on the cusp. Here they come. No, they just kind of kept their heads above water, which is okay. You know what I mean? Like it's that's fine because you're not putting yourself in this insurmountable hole 
to the point where, you know, after the Father's Day last year, they had to go on this prolific right. run that you just can't bank on every year. They, they, they haven't gotten themselves there. Right. No, no, they don't need that. Absolutely not. But but what they've done so far will not get it done against teams that are that are better. And that's why they have one of the worst records against 500 teams, uh, certainly in the division, but among, you know, contenders. And they're in fifth place in the AL wildcard race. And, you know, they, they got they got to get hot at some point. And that really comes down to the pitching staff's done its job. Are the bats going to figure it out? And, and again, we've had this conversation of like, are there signs that maybe it's coming? Is this just going to be a down year? Are we just going with blind faith and optimism because these guys have track records? And so you want to give them the benefit of the doubt? Or you know, how long does it go before you say, well, it, maybe it won't happen. Maybe this just is an average lineup to a, a touch below average, and mm. they're going to have to try to squeak by, get the, you know, their record better in one-run games, have some good fortune break their way. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I want them to figure it out. I want to believe in, in those guys. But but certainly, you watch the games. You just you don't feel like with the quality of at bats, the amount of strikeouts, all of that. It certainly doesn't feel like a team controlling the zone and, and really on the cusp of of starting to tear it up. How important is depth in a football team? Depending on the position, yeah, immense. It's immense. You know, I mean, you talk about the the football season as sort of a war of attrition, um, and you're always dealing with injuries. And it's it's sort of a lot of times it's the healthiest contender makes the Super Bowl. Um, you know, apart from Patrick Mahomes, who just punches a ticket for people every year, it seems. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 paramount to have at least a, a guy in some key spots that won't tank your season. And there are specific positions where you know you you don't have any backup corners, well, that could be brutal. You don't have any backup pass rushers. That could be brutal. You don't have any extra offensive linemen that won't just absolutely get obliterated off off the ball every snap. I mean, you have to have. So I think, you know, I mean, depth at quarterback you'd like to have, but I'm of the thought that if you lose your starting quarterback, for the most part, your season's over anyways. Right. Um, apart from a, a couple very few teams sparingly over the course of many, many seasons. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I think it's really important. Well, and I ask cause you're sort of out of practice yesterday and you're looking at this Seahawks team and you know, I don't know that they're a full fledged contender yet. And that's another question I have for you. Sort of what will it take for them to become one? But God, do they seem deep, especially in a few positions where you kind of look at it and say, man, they, they've got a lot of guys that are NFL players. I don't know whether they have enough guys at the right positions that are going to be NFL stars. Yeah, I'm really curious about what their day three picks look like this year. You know, I mean, you draft a couple interior offensive linemen. Well, do either of them have any starting potential or at least quality number two potential to where the drop-off from the starter is seismic, especially given that their starters and Phil Haynes and and Evan Brown aren't necessarily projected to be among the league's best, like projected pro bowlers. Mm -hmm. So can they at least – push them in training camp and, and be viable options uh, should an injury take place there in the middle of the offensive line. I think that's a, a big part of the depth because I didn't think they drafted positions very wisely on day three. They're just day three guys. You don't know exactly what you're getting. You might have some traits and upside that you like, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to be reliable on Sundays. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you. Uh, I do think that they have depth. Um, I'm very curious what this team ends up, accomplishing because I think especially in the NFC, I mean, the NFC is 
as wide open as ever. And should they be a top three team in the NFC behind, you know, or in in the mix with Philadelphia and and San Francisco? I think that's more than possible. And a lot of it comes down to what what was Geno's year last year fluke? Um, And I don't think it is, especially given that he's got more weapons this year. Um, And then also is the defensive line getting better than expected? You know, that's, that's kind of the wild card that you're, you're hoping that maybe all of the concern around can they stop the run? Is the interior good enough? Will they get to the quarterback consistently? You know, does Boye Mafe flash a little bit? Does Daryl Taylor continue to ascend? All of those, I think those are the major questions really are on the, the offensive line and defensive line. And if those groups are a tick better than expected, yeah, I do think this team's capable of special things. Why do you, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but why do you think Gino is not a fluke? I just, I, just the way he carries himself. At, at no point did it feel like the moment was too big for him. Um, I thought the first month, you know, it didn't feel like a lot went wrong for him. So it was kind of like he's going to get punched in the mouth at some point, and he did. And I can't remember who it was against. But he threw a pick six, and then he came back and let a touchdown drive the very next drive. And it, I mean, it just seems sort of has this unflappable persona. And like, hey, this is the moment I'm made for. I waited for my moment. And now that it's here, I'm going to make the most of it. And so, yeah, that gives me confidence. The way his teammates uh, seem to rally around him and love him um, speaks to, to that confidence I have in him. And then just the throws. I mean, it's not like he's making just silver platter throws where guys are wide open and he's hitting them. And you say, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some uh, those are some empty calories there because of of busted coverages or guys who are wide open or Shane Waldron's just, you know, dismantling a defense on his own. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> some of these throws he's making was the Saints game. You're just like, this is elite of the elite type stuff. Um, and which is why he was a pro bowler last year. He was by far, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the NFC last year. He's better than Dak. He's better than anybody else. And, and only Jalen Hurts had him beat. And so and even then it was still in the same conversation. So, yeah, I think he was just so good last year. To me, it would be a disservice to him to say, well, it was all luck because he did far too much to just boil it down to, to good fortune. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's fair. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, and it's something we've kind of played a little around with yesterday. Have you been following like the what's going on with the Pac-12 and the scheduling and all that? I don't know how much you've been on this, but just... Seeing that come out yesterday that the UW-Michigan State game was going to be on Peacock, it just, you know, I know there's a lot of folks, and I just ran into one the other day, saying, ah, you know, eventually UW and Oregon will be asked to be part of this Big Ten. And then I see that the Big Ten stuck that game on on uh, on Peacock, and I go, are you sure? It sure doesn't feel like that's something they're interested in right now. Yeah, the whole college realignment has really soured me on on the sports in general and it's at that level just because, you know, I think to me that the the best thing college sports has going for it is the pageantry, it's the tradition, it's the matchups, it's the logos, it's, it's all of that. And so when you start taking that away for, for what is obviously just more money and trying to create these super leagues and all that, I, I sort of get, I understand the motive behind it, but it still doesn't sit well. And even if Washington were to go to the Big Ten. You know, I don't know. It, doesn't, it just doesn't feel right to me. And will I get over it? Sure. We'll all move on. It'll become the new normal. Give it a couple of years, whatever. But, you know, and then when it comes down to the Peacock thing, it, I don't know how big their TV deal is there. So maybe they owe Peacock a premium game or two a year or whatever. But I agree. It's disappointing. I think in general, 
the, I think there's college realignment and then also just the sort of the way the you know the place and time that that sports are broadcast is also sort of in an interesting spot. You know, I think what happened with the Padres this week, I don't think it's a completely different conversation where their broadcasts aren't just defaulted on their payments and now they're only being able to, to be viewed on MLB TV. Um, and so that's only, you know, if you can't stream, you can't watch that. So I, I think it's, there's a lot of conversations and, and the whole landscape of the industry is changing quite a bit. And I'm really curious to see sort of where it goes, but I don't think necessarily just the Peacock thing is a, isn't as an indicator that, Oh, well, this means that the big, the big 10 doesn't want Washington. You're absolutely right on the on the streaming thing and, and certainly on what's going on with the RSN. So uh, we'll have more on that, I'm sure, over the course of the next few weeks as we learn a little bit more. As always, Joe, great, insightful commentary. You can read Joe at seattlesports.com or find him on Twitter or hear him every Friday here at 730. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Mike. We're due for a big disagreement, so I'll try to cook up something for next week, man. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's get into it. By the way, is there anything better <laughs> than something that you're debuting on the golf course? Whether it's a shirt, um, shoes, club, wedge, like whatever it is, is there anything better than debuting something new? Uh, if it's a new club, having it work, <laughs> that's better. Well, you but know yeah, that's no, not going to happen, best. so obviously oh, <laughs> forget yeah, that. It's the best. <laughs> Look good, feel good, play good, so Darn I love right. it. And it's never, it's never the ending; it's always the arrow. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's exactly how it has to be. Right, Just buddy. keep that mindset, and you'll never be at fault. Sounds good. Maybe I can shoot an eighty-four like Billy Horschel did yesterday. Uh, nearly, uh, <laughs> nearly, nearly uh, was was laughed off the course. All right, goodbye. There goes Joe Fan, uh, who we talk to every Friday at seven thirty, and again, read him at SeattleSports.com. Or on his Twitter page, Joe underscore fan. And yes, there are two N's in fan. And it is his real name. It's true. Let's do some Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. Aren't I lied? I lied. I'm sorry. I lied to you guys. I didn't mean to, but I lied. Is this something to do with the shirt you're wearing? No. No. You like my shirt? I do, but I just never see you in any sort of pattern. Flashy pattern. I know. It's new. Here's the thing. Every I, time I... I make it, I think you should leave. I wish you weren't a liar. Every, every time I wish I, you weren't a liar. Every time I wear a patterned shirt, everybody gives me grief about it. But every time I don't, like, how come you never wear anything that's interesting? No, like, I, well, I try. I purposely didn't say anything when you took your outer layer off because I wanted you to feel that what you were wearing was normal. You know what, Justin? You're a good guy. And I like it. It's nice of you. Thank you. And I like it. Would you like it more if I ripped the sleeves off? I think it, you could at least try rolling them up. The problem is then you'd see <laughs> my hairy shoulders and nobody wants any part of that. No, I lied to you guys earlier. I said I only had one observation about people's Body, bodies yeah. from being over there. Okay. And I actually have another. Uh, Pete Carroll asked yesterday about the <laughs> Center bar- the, the battle for the center spot. It's a it's going to be a great spot to watch. It really will. Uh, Evan has come in here and commanded the you know the leadership of you know with the experience. He has more experience than uh, than uh, you know who's got. So we'll we'll see how that all works out. Joey is an experienced football player too. So we have a really good spot. 
just gonna let it happen, you know, and see, see what happens, you know, see how it goes. We won't, we're not gonna set any timelines on it or anything like that. It'll just, it'll work itself out. But uh, Willow's done really nice. He's done a nice job jumping in. He's a really bright kid, and it shows up, and he gets it, and he's confident. You know, you can see him playing. Well, and then he went beyond that, more on Olu Oluwatimi, the uh, fifth-round center from Michigan. Well, one of the concerns is can a guy handle it, you know, and, and does he have enough awareness, and does he have enough command of the position to con- really control the messaging? Because it really, you know, it's, it's centered right there, and, and uh, he's got no problem. No, he's he's there, and uh, I mean, just look what he did. He came from from it was uh, school before. He comes to Michigan, jumps right in, and he's a heralded, award-winning dude in one year, you know. And so, yeah, it's, it's it's he's going to be able to do some stuff. I, I don't I don't know when it'll take place, or Evan makes the push, or he makes the push. But the position is in good hands right now, We're in a good spot. Well, I'll tell you what, if he's that smart. He's eventually going to be the starting center. When you see the body differences between him, Joey Hunt, and Evan Brown, it's not close. He is significantly larger, wider, bigger, taller, all of it than those guys are. And so, you know, he's a rookie and it's going to take him some time, obviously. And I don't know whether he's quick enough. I guess that could be a thing, but he sure looks like he would be just as quick, if not quicker than those other two. Bodies, if you're just looking at bodies, he's your starting center. And if it turns out that he's, you know, got all the the intelligence and the understanding and all of that, I would say that that's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. Just looking at the size difference that he would bring to the table there. Question number two. Uh, Another guy that I think is probably your most important He's definitely your most important addition. But if you're trying to figure out how good the Seahawks are going to be this year, I think my first question for you will be, well, how good is Draymond Jones? Sure. He was their biggest addition in the offseason. They gave him a boatload of money. It was like $18 million. He was your number one most irreplaceable. They went all in on him on your defensive line, their position of their greatest weakness. You want a good Seahawks team this year? Tell me how good Draymond Jones is. Here was Pete Carroll yesterday. It's been smooth as can be. And really, the, <clears throat> the learning and the, the concepts and the principles of stuff um, that we're doing, and we're learning him too because we want it. He's got special talents. We want to make sure and, and accent him and, and use him. Uh, we're learning that as we go. Uh, he's been really consistent about everything, so he's been really solid. I was telling you guys yesterday, or maybe it was a couple days ago, like, hey, don't let me. It was late last week. Don't let me talk long about the Mariners without mentioning Julio, right? Don't let me speak for very long about the Mariners without mentioning Julio because he was, at the time, like putting up those player of the week numbers and two hits every single day and carrying the team essentially close to by himself from an offensive perspective. I, I Don't let me talk much about the Seahawks this year and especially their defense without mentioning Draymond Jones. He's the key. But it's not as far as... What the way that you've been describing Julio as as Julio goes as the season goes. I'm not saying it's quite that. I mean, football is a little bit more complicated, and I don't know that you can say that. But But if this defense is supposed to not stink the way it did last year, and this defensive line is supposed to be good, it's got to start with the dude you spent a ton of money on in the offseason to replace guys at that position. So I'm glad to hear the transition has been smooth for Draymond. I'm glad to hear that they're spending time learning about him so that they can put him in the best position to succeed because I think that's really, really important. But don't don't let me forget when we're talking about this team and you get distracted by what's happening in all these other spots that Draymond Jones is as important 
to that process as anybody, and no conversation should go too far without talking about him and what he's doing for the Seahawks. Question number three. All right, third uh, Blue 88 question here. I'm going to bring in two players that play uh, kind of on the edge, and that's Alton Robinson and Tyreek Smith, two guys that have kind of been lost in the shuffle over time and but moving seemingly apparently in two very different directions. So Pete was asked about Tyreek Smith. You might remember him. Fourth or fifth rounder last year? Fifth round pick last year out of Ohio State. Mostly because he'd had injuries at Ohio State and then really got injured last year, like major hip issues and and basically a lost year for him with the Seahawks. Started like in training camp, maybe even before that, mini camp. Uh, Pete was asked what he's doing because he's been out there this year. Really good quickness, really good understanding of the position. Yeah, we saw him like a day and a half is all we saw. Uh, really good quickness. He understands the edge rushing and, and he, he was really, that's why we drafted him because we thought we saw a, a real special knack to him. He's had a good offseason. We, we've really really made him work hard in the weight room and working on the strength and, uh, and get physically right. He, he had a, a difficult injury in his, in his hip, and he, but he's back and going now. So he's doing everything. So he's full speed. Got a hip issue, like an old man. You know who was telling me about his hip issue yesterday? Quickness twice. <laughs> the what? He said quickness twice. Yeah. Well, you know who's got a hip issue? Oh. Bob. Oh, Stelton's like, ah, my hip, and this is like, God, you really are like an old man. Senior Friday, I know. Yeah, he's going all through it. So, (laughs) anyway, Tyreek Smith, positive, really excited about what he's doing. As for what's going on with Alton Robinson, this seemed a little, what did you say, cryptic, Mara? A little bit of an unknown. Yeah, I I, I don't know a lot about that right now. Um, It has been, uh, it's been a a long, hard road for him. I know that. I, I don't really have much else on that. Yeah, I don't, don't, know. don't, love don't know what's going on there. I don't know what that means entirely. I mean, it but sounded it, to me like they haven't even been in touch with him. He, they yeah. asked if he'd had surgery, and Carol followed up and said, yeah, that was a while ago. Well, I don't know what all that means, yeah. but it doesn't sound very promising for the uh, career of Alton Robinson. Let's just say that. That is uh, today's Blue 88. Uh, good stuff. Uh, thank you. I see G. He's going to be in here in about a half hour. We're talking about those guys along the defensive line and what it's going to take for them to be better than a year ago. Well, our next guest would be a huge part of that. And I do mean huge. He is a monstrous dude. Get to know Mike Morris, fifth round defensive end, now a defensive lineman out of Michigan. We'll chat with him next. He's got a little Mike B to his personality. You'll hear him coming up on Brock and Salk.